Hello everyone, my name is Rick Napier. I'm the founder at Real People USA. Our website is rpusa.org. Our telephone number is 602-805-7000. Today is October 19th, 2021. And the title of today's podcast episodes is Many GOP Voters Lack Confidence in the GOP Leadership and some feel the leadership is rotten to the core. Listeners, listeners, it is so tough to do this podcast episode. But one thing I can tell you, um, the reason why it's tough to do this episode is because the the theory, the, uh, the facts sort of speak for themselves. And... It's taken me a long time to come to this conclusion, and I did not really want to come to this conclusion, but there's just so much information out there, so much anecdotal information out there uh, where, you know, people like myself and maybe, you know, thousands of people like you have come to the conclusion that the top of the GOP leadership is not for us. It's not for the GOP voter. And when I think back to the contract with America that uh, Newt Gingrich, uh, you know, put together and uh, successfully implemented, I believe that was back in the 90s. People like Newt Gingrich was probably one of the last few uh, fighting Republicans. And then, of course, you know, Donald Trump and uh, in 2017 through 2021, um, after he lost due to cheating. Between those two and maybe a handful of other people, I think we've seen the last hard-fighting Republicans. Now, I do believe there are some Republicans uh, sitting out there running for office that are hard fighters also because they are, they are seeing some of the, the problems that we're having. But I do believe the GOP leadership is not for us. Now, I say this just looking at um, elections, looking at news. Of course, I'm here in California, so maybe I have a jaded view of the GOP because here in California, the Republicans are non-existent. They are, you know, out to lunch, so to speak. They've been out to lunch for a long time on break. Recently, there was a Northern California congressman I typically do not want to mention people's names, but I'm going to mention it this time because I think it must be told. His name is Tom McClintock. Now, I have met him at uh, several events, you know, where guest speakers come out and they talk about the issues um, that are facing Californians and issues facing uh, the rest of the country. Now, I had a high admiration for Tom McClintock. People like Tom McClintock, who has been a maverick in the Republican Party and uh, very uh, well admired here in Northern California, he has even been silent on the issues of of vaccinations and mandates and uh, people losing their jobs. So he was on a local radio station yesterday and he was talking about, you know, all the problems in the U.S., so what this guy did, he spent, and I'm talking about 
Congress, Congressman Tom McClintock, what he basically did is spent five to seven minutes going over the problems. But in that five to seven minute rant, he had no solutions. He, he said nothing about what the GOP, you know, Congress was going to do. He said nothing about uh, any type of fight where the people can join him to help uh, at least put up some type of uh, defense of some of the things happening happening here in California and around the rest of the country. So, you know, and I've heard things not not about Tom McClintock specifically, but I've heard things about the GOP that just shocked me. Also, yesterday I was talking with a, a political candidate on the east coast of Florida and he was telling me that once the GOP members make it to Congress, if they don't do exactly what the GOP leadership says. So we're talking about Kevin McCarthy, who is in a district in Southern California, I think in Bakersfield and uh, out there in the, um, the Bakersfield area, you know, in Highway 58 going toward uh, 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 Victorville. California and out there in the, in the desert. And so this Florida candidate told me that once a person makes it to the house, if they don't toe the line exactly how the House, uh, the, Re- the Republican House leadership tells them to, that they may be rid- ridiculed and money spent to get them out of office. And sometimes This person was telling me that the Republicans may pay the Democrat money to get the Republican out of office. And and if that's the case, and I believe this is true because I've heard this uh, scenario from many people, that's bad. That's telling me that the GOP uh, leadership is not working in the best interests of the people. And I was speaking with a former candidate for a New York uh, Congress position. I mean, this is a a federal Congress position, but the person lived in the New York City area. And she was telling me that the uh, the Manhattan GOP was actually not looking for the best candidate to run against the Democrats and the Manhattan GOP was doing fundraisers for Democrats. And, you know, and this is something I just heard about within the last eight months. And it's a podcast episode on the Real People USA podcast. So you can, you know, search for it. Uh, It's uh, the podcast was an interview that I did with um, Loveland Gwen out of Harlem. And she spent 45 minutes talking about the Rhino Project. I recommend people listen to that episode or go to her website. Uh, I think it's rhinoproject.org to hear more about how the GOP is really not in our camp. They're not working in our best interests. So, you know, so coming back to California, you know, recently there was a recall election. And Larry Elder was the, the top. He was the front runner. And uh, Larry Elder 
he lost the, the recall because the, the no votes to recall Newsom uh, exceeded the yes votes. Now, Larry, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, he, the, the, the no vote won, and you know they were cheating. Not, and obviously, they were cheating to me. But the no vote was something like, um, you know, like two-thirds to one-third. You know, the no, ver- the no votes exceeded the yes vote by two-thirds. So it was like a 67% for no and 33% for yes. Somehow, Larry Elder got about 3.9 million votes. And uh, it's in other words, the numbers don't match. Okay, so if the here's my point, listeners. Okay, Larry Elder, he probably got 10 million votes based on my estimation, based on my my knowledge of of people. I, I, I know people throughout the state of California. I've worked and pretty much lived in every part of Cal- California uh, as a former corporate employee. I used to work in all the metro areas of California, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, Riverside, uh, Fresno, uh, Stockton, Sacramento, San Francisco, San Jose. I've lived and worked in just about every part of California. And I will tell listeners this. There is no way in hell Californians uh, saw Newsom as a great benefit to their life. I'm talking about uh, all demographics, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people, Indian people, gay people, even black people did not see Newsom as a benefit to their to their lives. There's no way. Uh, Newsom defeated the new the recall legitimately. What I think happened, I think the the yes vote was extremely high. I think the yes vote was 10 million votes. And uh, if you know anything about California, California has about uh, 22 million registered voters. And you know, out of that. In a presidential election, and this is just, again, cheating. So I'm I'm using cheating numbers. In the cheating numbers, Democrats would normally get 12 million votes and Republicans would get about 7 million votes. And so I think what happened, the Democrats used that same ratio to show that the, the no votes exceeded the yes votes by that same margin, like I mentioned you know, two thirds to a third. The only problem with that is um, so many people were disgusted with Gavin Newsom. There's no way that only 10 to 11 million people voted total. You know, we're talking about major problems in California, even before the COVID vaccine. You know, a lot of small business owners were hurting. You know, areas like Los Angeles, especially places like San Francisco, Sacramento, just major homelessness, major trash in the streets, major uh, drug users, you know, walking around doing drugs and and, and playing sight. Then we have a large Hispanic population. 
regardless of how they got here, they did not come to California to experience the same type or worse living conditions in terms of the government, in terms of uh, people uh, obstructing their way, their path to be successful. There's no way they put they, they, they put up with this. I recall even during the 2020 election, I was running into so many Hispanics that had Trump shirts on. And they were wearing Trump shirts in San Francisco. And people may not know this, but in Beverly Hills, Trump won 55% of the Beverly Hills vote. And the fiasco that happened in Santa Monica and Fairfax and, uh, you know, all the, the Venice, the beach areas of Southern California and Los Angeles County, Trump was... Uh, highly favored in those areas. Just just imagine, you know, before the the, the shutdowns and the lockdowns and the COVID-19 uh, scamdemic, that's what I'll call it. Santa Monica, Fairfax, Beverly Hills, you know, West L.A. I know the area well. These were places where people could do whatever they want, um, you know, make the money that they wanted and basically say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Democrat and, uh, you know, I, I, things are good. You know, I, can, I, I work in Hollywood. I work, uh, you know, in the bars. I work on the, on the Strip, the Sunset Strip, you know, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I have a business. Uh, the business is making money. You know, I don't need Republicans interfering with my life. And then, you know, the, the COVID-19 scamdemic, the lockdowns, the riots, uh, the Antifa and BLM uh, crash, you know, smashing windows in Santa Monica. And this is up to the election. So I have friends in Santa Monica. I know people who are running for Congress in Santa Monica. And they tell me that in the 2020 election, many of these previously voting Democrats were basically saying there's no way in hell that they're voting for Biden. They're voting for Trump because now they see what the Republican message was all about, regardless of what people may may have thought about Republicans for these many years. Republicans have never been advocates of destroying people's businesses, whether they are uh, Democrat or Republican. That's just not what we do. We want small businesses to succeed. And now these Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, West L.A., uh, a Westchester district, Burbank, you know, Pasadena, you know, all these traditional Democrat voters, uh, many of them voted for Donald Trump. So the point I wanted to get at with Larry Elder, and I'm, I'm back at Larry Elder now because I think he he won. But I also think a lot of these uh, people who run as Republicans, they need to step up their game. And what I mean by that, they need to uh, look at being more proactive on the front end uh, to make sure that they know who is going to vote for them. When I say know who, they have uh, maybe I call it a pledged voter database where they have the names of the people, their zip code, their phone number, their email. And they need to have this number of of uh, estimated pledged voters 
so that when the Democrats do cheat, they have some firepower uh, to bring legal, legal action. Democrats have always beat Republicans because Republicans will lose and they have no evidence to bring to court. Republicans say, oh, we know we probably won or they say, oh, we we lost, but we did great. We had a, a great uh, run. And that's what Larry Elder said. And that's what kind of sort of ticks me off about Larry Elder, uh, someone who I've been listening to since 1995, uh, someone who when I was working in corporate America in Los Angeles, I used to drive the, the, the I-5, the I-10, the, the 405 freeway, the 91 freeway, listening to Elder when I was going from appointment to appointment when I was a sales executive. And I used to always say, man, this guy, he's telling the truth. But what I discovered about some GOP people is many of them don't really have that fight in them. They don't really have that warrior spirit to to rise above, you know, any type of uh, challenges that come their way. And that's what happened to Larry. I think Larry disappointed me in a sense where when he was running, he said, if I detect any type of political shenanigans that are happening that cause me to lose, I'm going to bring my legal team of, of, uh, forward and we're going to fight this. So everyone knew that the cheating thing was going to happen. We all knew it. And uh, so when the cheating thing happened and Larry uh, reportedly by the Secretary of State's office, Democrat run, by the way, uh, reported that Larry uh, did not win. The recall did not um go forward, the yes votes did not exceed the no votes. Instead of Larry fighting, the fact that a lot of the voting locations showed Republicans had already voted, he did not even want to fight that. So I'm just saying like at 1201 Wednesday morning, the morning after the election, Larry conceded. And I got to tell you, that kind of broke my heart that he put, did not put up a fight. And Larry spent his first day back on the air, which was yesterday. It was October 18th. And on the West Coast, he's on from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I listened to that show while uh, laying on the couch. I wanted to hear what he had to say about his loss. And to my dismay, uh, Larry did not appear strong about uh, his loss. He did not uh, admit to any type of, um, you know, challenges that he had in his campaign other than the GOP national leadership did not support him. So I definitely agree with that. The GOP leadership was nowhere in sight. No one came out to support Larry. I'm not sure if any money flowed. Larry basically said no money came his way from the national GOP party or, or leadership. And even the California GOP, which I don't really uh, care for the person who runs it, um, they did not even support him 
when he became the front runner. So Larry, in essence, on his show on October 18th, which was yesterday, pretty much gave a bunch of excuses why he didn't win. And uh, he even went to talk about people who treated him badly. Now, you know, as a, as a person that he's, he's, had, he's had a long career and he seems like a maverick in a sense, he pretty much whined for, for at least two hours the time that I listened to Larry Elder yesterday. He pretty much whined, and I hate to say it like this, but he whined like a bitch for, for, for two hours about um, why he didn't win. And it was so disappointing to hear a person just whine and moan about the reasons why he didn't win when it turns out that the reason why he didn't win is because he had no solution for Democrat cheating. That's why he didn't win. He did not have a solution for Democrat cheating. So, you know, I'm looking at a lot of different people. I'm helping a few candidates with their with their races. I'm letting these candidates know that they cannot run without having some type of system in place to at least uh, detect, challenge, and fight legally Democrat cheating. Now, also, um, I'm getting a little traction from um, from other candidates in terms of people interested in Real People USA. Because real people USA, we're not a, you know, I mean, my organization is really small. It's like one or two people, you know, and I'm getting ready to form the LLC this week. Real people USA wants to help candidates run as if they were running a business. And I know that may sound strange to people, but if you think about the fact that political candidates are are, are pretty much applying for a job of one of 535 jobs 100 are in the Senate and 435 of these jobs are in the House so these are very powerful positions these positions make the rules in this country so for a person not to treat their candidacy like they're selling like a very expensive product you're talking about a person running for Congress that is looking at billions of dollars that are budgeted to be spent in America for all different types of things. So this person who is running for Congress should see their their position to be a job that controls or has something to do with maybe billions of dollars. It's not like a it's not like a, a catering job. Like you're not applying for a catering job. You're not applying for uh, a, a job, an admin assistant type job. You're not applying to work at 7-Eleven. Congress people are applying for the most important job in the world. And I believe as the founder and soon to be CEO at Real People USA, that Congress people need to market themselves. They need to campaign as if The product or service that they're marketing is like 10 million, 50 million dollars. They cannot uh, lackadaisically talk about running for Congress and just be all over the map 
with their their campaign their campaign platform uh with their the words that they use uh the lack of them wanting to reach out to people the constant uh you know thing they do where they want to meet at, at at hotels and and eat dinner and, and drink and drink liquor and and hobnob with other people in suits and nice clothes uh 200 people in attendance and then when it's all over they go home they do not try to connect with people in their local communities you see if a person as a sales a former sales executive if a person had a product that was worth a million dollars per transaction and let's say you have a product that's worth a million dollars and every time you sold one you made a, you made a million dollars would you have a very lackluster way of trying to move that product or service to a consumer and most of you would answer no you would not have this laissez-faire way of of marketing a 1 million dollar product well that's what i'm seeing right now i'm seeing a lot of congressional candidates treat their campaigns like they're selling snow cones on the side of the road or lemonade or they have a lemonade stand you know one cup for 10 cent or maybe okay one cup for a dollar 50 in california and it just it just bothers me and now that i'm i'm seeing that these uh, gop uh, national leaders are not even helping the gop candidates have a structured way of of campaigning you know i can tell that there's something going on just think about it as i as i'm about to close think about it you know you're the gop leadership and you know it the gop is successful i i thought if gop candidates win and gop candidates make a good impression and they do and they do a great job to the public and and the public likes what they hear. So if I was if if I were running the GOP, I would say okay, all candidates running for office, this is how you need to, you know, structure your your campaigns. These are the the highlights of what you may want to do. And uh I would have some type of um you know, coaching thing, some type of of uh structure, some type some type of template where the candidates could choose from and say okay this is this fits my personality this is what I'm going to run with uh the GOP would say these are the top 5 to 7 issues that are impacting Americans across the country uh these are the 5 to 7 things that you know GOP candidates should should address see none of that is happening so what you have is Let's say there are 55 GOP candidates out there. And some are with uh, these organizations called PACs, political action committee committees. Some are with consulting groups. Uh you know, some of these consulting groups are fundraisers and they call them bundlers. I, that's a new word for me. I I just heard about that word 6 months ago, bundler. Uh, someone who uh raises money for candidates. Uh I have no problem with that word. I just never heard it. A bundler. It doesn't sound like a nice word, but that's the word that they use. So you have these 55 uh congressional candidates running. 
And if you have ever been in management, like I like I've been for 20 some years, anytime you have 55 candidates and let's say all 55 are doing something different. When you have 55 ways of doing one thing, it doesn't turn out successful for the for the overall cause. You know, there's a math formula that talks about how many combinations of of things that that come out of having 55 ways of doing something. And I can tell you 55 ways of doing something translate into millions of different scenarios. So I don't want to go into the statistics uh, part of that, of a combination theory, but I'm just telling you, listeners, 55 ways of doing something doesn't work out. And the Democrats pretty much have one or two ways of doing something, raise money and, uh, you know, put their candidate, you know, raise money to put their candidates, you know, on the ballot and cheat. <laughs> That's what they do. And the Democrats... And the Republicans, we have 55 ways of doing something. It's a shocker to me, listeners. It's a shocker. So in closing, you know, if you know any GOP candidates that are out there struggling, that are out there and they feel like they're a fish out of water because they've never even sold a stick of gum. They've never presented themselves. They've never been in the presentation They've never had to pitch a product or service. Please send them my way. Please send them to Real People USA, RPUSA.org, uh, telephone number uh, 602-805-7000, and maybe we can help them. We may not be able to help them win, and I and, that, and that's my my overall goal is to help people win. But they will definitely work hard, and voters will say. You know, Joe didn't win. He lost by a slim margin, but he really worked hard or Joe won because he had a system. Joe won because he had a plan to deter or challenge Democrat cheating legally. Joe won because he met with a lot of people over a period of time and he had uh, maybe 55 to 60 percent of the total uh, vote voters in his district that supported him. Joe won because Joe was all over our community, meeting with people on a regular basis, meeting in person, meeting on um, virtual calls. Uh, and Joe won because he identified the top issues that Americans are concerned about. My name is Rick Napier, the founder at Real People USA. Again, rpusa.org. Um, and our uh, telephone number is 602-805-7000. We do ask for uh, donations, so there's a donation link if you want to donate a couple of bucks. Uh, We do have some other things that we're doing to help uh, communities with these um, atrocious city councils and school boards. And just just to wrap it up, why aren't local people challenging the city councils and school boards. A lot of people are rallying with the 200 people, 400 people at, at these city halls and 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 and, and uh, board of supervisors, county board of supervisor meetings. And 
I just tell you, 400 people is not going to get the attention of city council. If you live in a city that has 300, 400, 1 million people, if you got 400 or 1,000 people showing up with their grievances, that's not going to get their attention. But anyway, that's on a separate podcast uh, that Real People USA will be doing. But thanks for listening to this podcast episode. Make it a great day.